Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Cindy Chavez here. Today is Wednesday, September the 12th, 2018, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, your first Daily Dose of Happy for the Day. And we've been happily chatting along about the fact that we're getting sleep because both of us have been a little sleep deprived lately and we've been getting sleep. And it's amazing how much happier you feel when you have enough sleep. Although even though Abraham says, well, you only need a couple hours a night, but Abraham actually hasn't been in corporal form for quite some time. So I I guess we can forgive him for that one. (laughs) Abraham only needs a couple hours a night. I yeah, that's what more it is. Than that. oh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, actually, I wonder how many of the people who are um, non-corporeal beings um, who make up Abraham, and I get the feeling it's a rather a changing group. But I wonder how many of them have been kind of out of physical form for some time and kind of you know forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it, it only I only remember that we slept a little bit. Yeah, yeah, right. See? That's what it is. <laughs> See, that's what's going to happen once we are no longer in ah. physical form and we look back a millennia. We'll be like, I don't think we slept that much. Did we? No, I think we just. <laughs> well, well, you know what will happen is we'll, 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 trans- we'll transition over. And once we get there, you know, there'll be the big celebration that we hear about. And in the middle of the celebration, we're going to stand up and say, by the way, I'm not going to forget that I got at- I need to get at least eight hours of sleep every night. And everybody's yeah. going to say, huh? What are you talking about? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, good grief. All, all joking aside, I mean, it's really important. It's so basic, but it's one of the questions that I ask when I speak with someone who is having a lot of difficulty, mm, yeah, having difficulty creating what they want to create, um, having, you know, difficulties in their life and feeling serious stress. I always, I always ask, um, how are you, how do you sleep? How are you sleeping? Mm. What kind of answers um, do you usually get? <laughs> I, I usually get answers like I'm not mm. um, or not yeah. enough or I mean, occasionally I get somebody says, oh, I sleep great. I sleep really, really well, which is great. Um, but I always want to check that because often we don't think about those super basic things like am I drinking enough water? Am I getting enough sleep? Right. Good sleep. You know, um, my first question, you know, about that to somebody I asked this yesterday, um, how are you sleeping? And they said, uh, you know, recently better, a little better. So my second follow-up was, do you remember your dreams? Because that's one indication that you're getting into that deep healing REM sleep, right? So it's, it's easy to jump ahead to like, what, what LOA trick do I need to learn? You know, what, what new thing am I not doing? Why is this not working? But realizing that we have to like eat nourishing food and sleep enough and drink enough water, <laughs> the basic things that take care of our, because we are in physical bodies. Right. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you said and, something interesting, though. You, you said, uh, you mentioned uh, that that deep, deep sleep, the REM sleep is the, the nourishing sleep. And I remember, well, I have two reasons to think about that. The first I remember way back when I was in college, I took a course in sleep and dreams and they talked about the REM level. The REM level isn't actually what they consider the deep level. The deep level, there's actually not a lot, lot of dreaming going on. There's like four stages deeper, or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So I, and so when I get into a deep sleep, I mean, it's really a, a, a rare thing for me to remember what, what my dreams were. I don't know. I wake up I'm like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> no clue what happened other than, oh, my God, it's now, you know, seven o'clock in the morning or whatever it is. <laughs> well, if you're having insomnia like on an 
continual basis. And I'm not a sleep doctor, but what I know from talking to people and my own experiences, and and I did some uh, a year of dream study as well. I think that when you're having those nights where you just don't sleep, <laughs> like yeah. you're completely sleep deprived, and then you start sleeping a little better, um, and then you remember a dream, it's like okay. I know, I know I'm sleeping a little better because I'm, I'm at least. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, that's true. So it's like for someone that says, no, I I don't sleep. And I, I don't, I rarely have a dream because I'm not really asleep long enough. We want to kind of try to get, get you to that point. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's understandable. My sister went through something like that. Oh, I'm not sure exactly how long ago, 10, 15 years ago, something, maybe 20. Um, where she was, she couldn't sleep more than an hour or two at night. And it was really affecting her. I mean, she was starting to hallucinate and so forth. So, oh I, wow, I, I can yeah, definitely appreciate. Oh yeah, and I, I don't remember what the solution was, but uh, there was a combination medical solution and uh, um, therapeutic type solution, and the two together, she was able to alleviate that, and she sleeps just fine today. But, well, uh, I had a friend that actually was, a, or a friend of a friend, a relative of one of my best friends, um, that was having a bunch of symptoms, but really, and feeling exhausted all the time, um, but didn't know why. Mm. And so they did one of those sleep studies. She thought she was sleeping fine. And they said in the study that she had woken up like a thousand times a night. Oh, <laughs> it's just like that, that little tiny um, space, you know, between what good sleep would have been and what but it isn't mm-hmm. <laughs> like she never quite got into that good sleep and she would wake up, but not really enough to notice it. And they, I guess her brain was waking up and they said, no wonder you're exhausted. Yeah, like you, right. you woke up a thousand times in one night. I thought, Oh my goodness, <laughs> it's not that bad for me, but uh, I, I did sleep better last night and you I, said you did too. So that's good. Well, actually last night I woke up early. I mean, the previous night I, I slept really, really well. Last mm-hmm. night I woke up at around 4 a.m. and got up around 4 30 because I figured, well, it's not all that far to dawn. And besides, I realized there's something that I've been wanting to fix on the LOA Today website. Because the uh, if you click, if you were clicking on the link that I provided for uh, subscribing to the podcast, it would only work under certain circumstances, and that was really gnawing at me because it should always work for everybody. I mean, that's the goal. Um, I mean, the reality of t- technology today is that it's usually not that simple because there are so many different kinds of podcast applications and some people are using iPhones and some are using Androids or Windows phones and you know they're like there's like a whole bunch of variables that affect it but nevertheless it should be as simple as possible and it was really bugging me that you know there were large chunks of listeners who I knew would be having trouble when they clicked that link so I got up this morning and it was worth getting up because what I found what I learned I use a, a WordPress plugin uh, to provide the feed that everybody ends up connecting to um, and you no, know, for somebody who's saying, what the heck's a feed? Don't worry about it. If you're already subscribed, you're good. You're, no problem. <laughs> but, uh, it, for, for those of us who are kind of techie oriented, a feed's important because that's how ultimately we set up all the connections to make it possible, possible for everybody to connect. And I found that the people who manufacture the feed that I use, the, the system that I use had come up with a new subscribe button and I plugged it in and it works a, a whole lot better than the one we had before. Yay, so that's... now I'm looking forward to people having a lot easier time when it comes to subscribing to the podcast and i mean we're already seeing increases in numbers anyway i'm hoping this kind of like accelerates it you know just because there were some people who couldn't get in before now they can get in this time yeah well you know you have to have the right things in place right yeah it's like it, it reminds me of 
you know, people wanting to use law of attraction for um, financial, you know, improvement or improvement of their health or whatever. And yeah, it, it definitely helps to have those tools. And then we, we also need to do the part we can do as well, which is make a, you know, do we have, are we letting people know that we want opportunities or right. do we have those channels in place for money to come in or oh, are, yeah. are we making sure we're doing what we can to be in better health or whatever? And then the universe will support that. So that's excellent. I'm so happy that it worked like easily too. Yeah. I mean, it isn't perfect yet because the way the new subscribe button works, it gives you a list of available apps that you can plug into for whatever device you're using, which is an improvement. And so you can select your app. The problem is a lot of people don't even know what app they've got or even if they have one at all. So what mm -hmm. I'm hoping to get to the point to is where you click it, it just selects the app that you have and plugs right. it, plugs in and boom, you're done. But we're not quite there auto yet. detect that, that would be great. Yeah. That, and we should be able to do that. We're, we really should not be all that far from being able to do that. So I've contacted the uh, people who, who create this thing. It's, it's one of those... Um, uh, open source type thing. So it's a community of people who are involved and I've contacted them and said, you know, let's, let's do, let, let, let's uh, con consider adding a couple of little features. And I described the features to them. So, you know, and they, they tend to be pretty responsive. Um, in fact, I'll give them a little love right now for, for anyone who is, uh, has a little bit of technical skill and you have your own podcast, you want to do use the pod love uh, plugin. Yeah, that's the name of it, Pod Love. I know I said give them the love, but that's it was kind of like a play on words. <laughs> but the, I love it. It's the Pod Love <laughs> plugin, yeah, and it's a good one. It's it's one of the really I'd say it's the best open source um, podcasting plugin available. I don't think there's anything that's better really out there. So that's my good opinion. Good to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, excellent. So we're. I'm glad you did something. You know that was so useful in your time awake. Early. Yeah. If you're going to be awake, you might as well do something good. Right. <laughs> I, I actually finished doing that at about five thirty AM and said, maybe I'll go back to sleep. And I said, no, I don't dare do that. I won't wake up in time for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I always joke. I'm not one of those. Hey, I'm awake. Maybe I'll write a bestseller. Um, <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, somebody even asked me that one time we were both, someone else I was talking with and they they were having trouble sleeping and they said what about you when you have a trouble sleeping are you one of those people that get up and you know are very productive or I said no <laughs> <laughs> no because the moment I make the decision okay I should just get up I suddenly feel so tired it's like oh mm. there's no way I'm gonna get I mean you know if it's if it's 5 30 5 30 sort of like my mark it's like okay I can get up it's 5 30 mm -hmm. that's good but if it's four no too early <laughs> just doesn't seem right I, also what uh, affects me is that louise and i don't always go to bed at the same time i mean we don't go to the same bed at the same time as each other or if we do go to get together at the same time it's not the same time every night ah, so, so one okay. night it might be you know like 10 30 and another night it could be 8 30 or it could be you know completely different time from that so you know that doesn't help a whole lot when you mix the schedule around like that I have heard them say them. I have heard, you know, sleep experts or whatever. Anytime I've read articles about sleeping, which when you have insomnia, you do that. <laughs> well, yeah, especially if you get up and stuff, trying to stay in bed, saying, I'm going back to sleep and I'm going back to sleep and you don't go back, you don't go back to sleep. So, yeah. You got to go back to sleep. So you go, okay, I'm going to look at my phone and I'm going to look for an article on how I can go back to that's sleep. That's right. Yes. <laughs> but that's one of the things that's always like in the top 
you know, few suggestions is it's important that you go to sleep every time, every night at, at the same time and get up every day at the same time. Now, I generally go to sleep every night around the same time mm-hmm. and I never have trouble falling asleep. I fall asleep faster than, you know, it's just 30 seconds. I'm out. But I don't always get up at the same time. Like, as a matter of fact, podcast days, I get up really early. And then there's a couple other days that I get up a, just a little bit later than that. And then on the weekends, sometimes I sleep later. So I know that's probably not what the sleep experts would tell me is important. Probably not. I'm going to go with Abraham and do what feels best. <laughs> well, that's what I do too. Because I actually try to do where you have you know, the, the approach you described, where you have a set schedule. And go to bed every night. And at first it worked, but after a while, I found that it actually was messing me up. Because there would be times when I had loads of energy at that hour, and there'd be other times mm-hmm. I would have been ex- exhausted an hour before. And so I realized yeah. I really needed to go with what my body was telling me. Yeah. Because otherwise I was going to go crazy. <laughs> I agree. And it helps if you're listening and you're someone who's has trouble sleeping or you know whatever uh staying asleep mm-hmm. or going to sleep mm-hmm. one of the things that really does help and has and always helps me and sometimes i forget it and i stop doing it and then i remember and i go yeah that's it um is to stop looking at screens computer screens mm-hmm. phone screens um after like 8 30 yeah that's good stop because it's the it's the blue light that it actually affects the melatonin production and so it affects our brain and so what i started doing at one point was at about 8 30 i would get away from the screens around nine o'clock i would i would get into bed but then i would read like a book not a kindle (laughs) not my phone but a real book um for about an hour before i went to sleep that always seems to help but i get out of the habit of it sometimes Mm, yeah that's interesting. I because I've actually used my uh, my iPhone. I like to sometimes read my iPhone like it's a Kindle, and I've used that as a way to fall asleep, and it it really works for me. <laughs> see, I, mean, I have a um on my on my Android, I have a blue light filter. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it, but it's a separate app. Mm-hmm. And then iPhone does, there are no blue light filters for iPhone. So iPhone finally made one of their own, I think last iteration or so, but it's, it turns your screen more warm and away from the blue light. It filters it out. So your screen will have like a little bit of an orangish or pinkish tint, but the tint on iPhone is very, very light. It's like, I can hardly notice it's there. And when I use the other app, it's like, Oh, it's really, really (laughs) strong. It tints it out. So, so that's just a, a hint, you know, of something to do because sleep is important. Well, I, what I uh, the approach I take whenever I'm trying to fall asleep with the iPhone is I open up a Kindle book to something I've already read, and if oh. if it's something I've already read and I start reading it, I start to get bored because I already read it, and I, all of a sudden I drop the phone and fall asleep. Hey, that's a great idea. I'm put a stack of books that I've already read next, <laughs> except for that I'm one of those people that likes to read books over and over. Like I, I so I, we'll see. Anyway, so I, I guess that's I'm my way of overcoming the blue light problem. Yeah, that's uh, good. I like that, <laughs> especially on non-podcast days. <laughs> Wait a minute, I only have one non-podcast day. No, no, say, this is not a good a plan. <laughs> I actually do. Saturday morning is my one non-podcast day. Yeah, and and wow. the, the funny thing is, I very often wake up and I have podcast withdrawal. <laughs> <laughs> 
I get it. I get it. The podcast is great. <laughs> it is. And we're, we're uh, talking about a really great subject lately because we've been looking at the lives of famous people who are very well off with the idea that if we continue with our typical pattern that most of us have of thumbing our noses at uh, billionaires and millionaires that we think are doing terrible things in the world and so forth, all we're really doing is building up our own antip antipathy to having money, which is really not what we had in mind when we started thumbing the nose. <laughs> but uh, we figured, okay, well, maybe we should start paying attention to the people who are doing good things in the world, people we can feel good about, who also happen to have money. And so we, we started doing that ser series, what was it, about uh, two, three weeks ago, something like that? Yeah, I think so, about yeah. three weeks ago, maybe. Yeah, and we've done some really interesting people. Um, today, we're picking up one of the contributors to The Secret, one of the presenters of The Secret. And I don't know why we didn't even think about that before. But uh, Jack Canfield, in my mind, was one of the best contributors in the movie and in the book, The Secret, just because I don't know what it is about him. I think it's partly because of what he just says in general and what he writes, but he, everything about him seems genuine to me. I mean, there doesn't seem mm -hmm. to be any kind of fake persona. And, and, well, so, and I know people that know him um, mm -hmm. personally, and they say that. Oh, they do? Oh, okay. Yes. I mean, yeah. it's like, no, he's just, this is just who he is. It's kind of like what we what we read about uh, Mr. Rogers. Right, right. That he he didn't want to make a, a persona on for television because one thing, he, he thought he didn't need it. And the second thing, he said, <laughs> kids can spot a faker a mile off. So I just would kind of be myself. Which he was right so he about. He really is who he is. And I've heard the same thing about, about Jack Canfield. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you can, know, you can kind of just deal. tell it just by, just by listening to him, just by... Uh, hearing him in the secret, just by hearing him talk in the various videos I've heard him in, um, he's just he's just genuine. There, there's no pretense at all, and I can trust that. I don't care what he's saying; I can trust it because he's real. So I have a question for you. Okay. Because I didn't find it, but I I think you might know it already, okay. and that is um, Jack Canfield. For for anyone who doesn't know, he. He's done a lot of things and written a lot of books, but he's also the one that started the Chicken Soup for the Soul books, right? which have been hugely successful. Mm -hmm. And what's the story behind those books? Because I think there's a story. I feel like I've heard him tell it before, but I don't remember what it was. Well, he tells uh, part of the story in The Secret, um, because when the book was first created, didn't have a publisher. <laughs> he didn't even know where he was going to get a publisher. And he wasn't sure what to even do about getting a publisher. Um, so basically, he had this book and he kind of had put it on the back shelf, believe it or not. He hadn't done anything with it. But uh, back in the 1980s, he was a student under W. Clement Stone. W. Clement Stone was his mentor. And W. Clement Stone is or was actually a multi-billionaire himself who had made his fortune in the insurance industry and was a teacher of success principles. In fact, he wrote uh, his best-selling book was called The Success System That Never Fails. Well, Canfield was one of his students, and, and I actually know a little bit about Stone because I worked for one of his companies for a year and got kind of indoctrinated with you know the stuff that he teaches. Well, mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't get indoctrinated as long as Canfield did. Maybe that was my mistake. But... <laughs> but uh, Canfield actually apparently was working directly with him. And one day uh, Stone said to him, uh, I want you to set a goal for yourself 
that is bigger than you think you can achieve, which is not the way it's normally explained, right? Normally, we, right. we, we teach it in terms of, you know, you have to believe in it. You have to believe you can actually get there. But no, Stone said, go, I want you to think of a goal that is more than you think you can achieve. Now, this was in the early 80s. Back at that time, Canfield was making, he says, around $8,000 a year, which in today's money would be about 16 to 20. So he wasn't doing real well. Mm -hmm. And he decided to set a goal for himself of making $100,000 in a year, which was far beyond anything he could imagine. And he was married, um, but uh, it was not a situation where there was any money to you know, invest or anything like that. You know, they was, right. everything was tight. That money was tight. Right. You know, so what do you do? So anyway, he, at Stone's suggestion, ended up taking a check and filling out the check to himself and later on turned the same idea into a dollar bill. He took a $1 bill and he modified it with some, you know, the, the equivalent of a Sharpie or, you know, magic marker or something like that. He, he changed the $1 bill so that it said $100,000. And then he taped that to the ceiling above his bed so that every morning when he woke up, he would see that $100,000 bill on the ceiling. That was his way mm -hmm. of training his brain to believe that uh, $100,000 was his and it was just on its way. So he did that and nothing remarkable happened. <laughs> nothing at all happened. For about a month, he didn't get anything, no, no inspiring ideas in the shower, nothing. And then one day, he remembered he had this book that he had written. And he said to his wife, you know, I wonder if, if we could get like 400,000 people to buy a copy of that book and we got a 25% royalty on it, which is you know on par for what the royalties were at that point in time. No, that'd be a hundred thousand dollars. I wonder if we could do that. And she says, "Well, how do you do it?" And he says, "I don't know, <laughs> but let's try." <laughs> and that's a that's a lot of buyers. That's a lot of buyers. Yeah, where are you going to find a hundred four hundred thousand buyers for a book that nobody knows anything about, and nobody even right. knows whether it's going to sell or not? For goodness' sake. Well, the way he tells the story is, shortly thereafter, he was at the supermarket and he saw a National Enquirer magazine. And he doesn't give you any sense of being either in favor or against National Enquirer. He didn't talk about it in terms of being trash media or anything like that. He described it as just being background. He knew it had been there. He had just never paid attention to it. It was background. But that mm -hmm. particular day, it jumped out of him. And he realized that <clears throat> the National Enquirer has a pretty good size subscription base. I'm not sure what it was then. Today, it's, it's probably over 10 million people. So, well, his thought was, well, I'll bet you if, People in that magazine knew about the book. 400,000 of them would buy it. That, that's literally the way he said it to himself. A few weeks <laughs> after that, he gave a talk at, which college was it? I can't remember the name of the college. But he gave a talk at a college. And after the talk, a woman comes up to him and asks if she can interview him, saying that uh, you know he did a, a wonderful job with the talk. And in fact, this is actually portrayed in The Secret. So there's like a little scene where you see this woman coming up to him and uh, says, I, I, I love your talk. It was fabulous. I'd love to interview you. And he says, oh, what magazine do you write for? She says, well, mostly I'm a freelancer, but uh, most often I submit my 
my stuff to the National Enquirer. And then when that happens, there's a little twinkle in the eye that they throw into the film there, right? <laughs> Just to give you the idea, oh, something big's happening here. Right, an aha moment there. Aha like, moment, oh, yeah. Synchronicity, yeah. A little synchronicity going on there, big one. So he ends up getting written up in the National Enquirer, and that kind of sets off a chain of events. Now, he doesn't tell the whole story of what happens after that. And I can't tell you all the details of what happens afterward. I can fill in a few of them. One is he ends up collaborating with a co-author who doesn't get any credit these days, but his name, I believe, is Mark Victor Hansen. And Mark, I think, was um, a financial contributor. So he's listed as a co-author of the book, but I think his big contribution was providing financial backing for it. How that tied into the publication with, I think it was called Deerfield Press or something like that, I don't know. But one thing led to another, it did get published. They ended up uh, doing some promotional tours. They put in a lot of work. And getting back to the way Jack tells the story, at the end of that year, they added it all up and found that they had made $92,235, which was not $100,000. And I love the way he says it in The Secret. He says, do you think we were depressed because we didn't make $100,000? No, we were amazed. <laughs> so his wife says to him, well, can we do the same thing with a million dollars? And he says, I don't know. I think so. The next part of the, of the secret, you see his publisher writing him a check for $1 million and putting a little smiley face next to his signature because it's the first ever $1 million check he'd ever written. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it had never been done before. Never been done before. And of course, now as we look back, we find that the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which, and that was the first Chicken Soup book, um, that series has now sold over 500 million copies. Right. I saw that number and I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, my that's book. insane. <laughs> that's of more copies than there are people in the United States. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. <laughs> there are so many great takeaways from just that one story. Mm. Oh, yeah. Pick you one. Know, what's, your, what's your favorite one? Well, the idea that it had never been done before. Yeah. You know, in other words... He had never made that much money before. He wasn't sure even how to make this happen. Um, and then, I, of course, I love the idea of meeting someone <clears throat> unexpectedly that can help you. As I see that happen a lot. Oh, yeah. And then, um, but the idea that so many of us would say, well, I mean, that's not going to happen because it's never been done before. And, you know, I think we need to, recognize how many people have these kind of stories mm. where it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It may be the first time right. <laughs> someone writes a check for a million dollars and it's the check to us. <laughs> One of the other uh, things that have come out of this book is that today in the publishing world, and I got this from a publisher's representative um, who Louise and I know um, his wife works for Louise's gardening business. And we actually went out and had, dinner with him because we wanted to take the book that you and I helped to write, you know, the one we published this past May, um, Your Daily Dose of Happy, Real Success Stories of the Law of Attraction. And we, we had him take a look at it and give us some ideas on what to do to promote it and get it published by a real publisher rather than self-published and all that kind of stuff. One of the things he mentioned was anthology books are huge now. Yes. And anthology books are huge primarily because of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Right. And they're still going. Oh, yeah. They've had like what, 250 copies, 250 different versions of it or something like that. 
I mean, uh, they're putting them out all the time. It's ridiculous. They're always ha- they always have calls for writers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, constantly. It, it's it's really quite an amazing thing. In fact, um, he was impressed that we had done an anthology one. He had different criticisms about what he thought we should have done differently, but overall, he thought that it was a good concept. And, and one of the first cons- one of the first uh, ideas he kind of threw out, which really had nothing to do with what we do, is you know, there, there should really be a book like this for financial, a financial anthology that would really sell. And you know what? He's probably right. Mm-hmm. That would probably sell really, really well. I, I really don't want to put it together a financial anthology, but yeah, that would probably do very well. <laughs> well, it's interesting when you look at, at when you look back at how the the chicken soup book started. Like I think you said it was just a book he wrote, right? And then. N- they they had an initial view of success, mm-hmm. of initial vision of what success would be. Right. Like they had a they had a number amount they wanted to. Or I, when I say they, I mean he and his wife. I mean he wrote the book. Yeah, so pretty he much. He had he had an initial vision of how much money he wanted to make, and you know it's like okay if we then they figured they did the math right if we could get 400,000 people to buy the book our take would be this amount that we've wanted to create exactly yeah and they did that but what's so interesting and we talk about this a lot is that that whole idea of being open to the universe support right universal support the mm-hmm. universe is always supporting us it's like when we're open to that and we don't limit ourselves to hows like how many times when you told the story you said he didn't know how it was going to happen right he didn't know how he didn't had no clue he did not limit himself to it happening a certain way and look what's happened now yes <laughs> i mean 500 million copies and uh. 250 different iterations of he had no idea right i mean he couldn't have had any idea that this thing would well who could how could you possibly know that (laughs) there's no way to know that and so to me that's so exciting it is any little thing any little project that we feel we want to to do or create in our life who knows where it could go if we don't limit ourselves well, one of my favorite things to do when I'm uh, visualizing about this podcast and about its growth is imagining having 100,000 subscribers. Awesome. There we go. Same number, you know? Yeah. And I, I have no idea how to, to translate that into royalties because I'm not sure what royalties there are with a podcast. But nevertheless, I like the idea of 100,000. I like that number, too. There's something good I about can, it. Something I feels can good. totally see 100,000 listeners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And boy, oh boy, would that be overwhelming. Can you imagine 100,000 people listening to every podcast? Like, oh my God. (laughs) I can, actually. (laughs) Yes. I can imagine that. Boy, yeah, it gives me shivers whenever I think about that possibility. But one thing I have done is I've given up on how, though. I have to say that. I have given up on how. I I, I still try to take steps, but trying to figure out how to reach 100,000, that's just too mind-boggling. I don't know how to do that. Well, you know what's interesting um, is what you just said about I always take steps. And I love the analogy of steps because even if you try to take the biggest step possible, 
<laughs> it's still just the next step. <laughs> Even when you're as tall as I am, it is just one step. <laughs> right, it's one step. And you really, I mean, until we learn how to fly, we really only can take one step at a time. Pretty much, yeah. We can jump or hop or, you know, but we're still just moving ahead in increments. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like when you plan a trip, you know, a road trip. I mean, generally speaking, we work on a linear timeline and we decide, okay, well, where are we, you know, how far are we going to drive today? Where are we going to end up? What's our goal today? Even though we may be driving all the way across the country, what about where are we going to try to get to? At least when I've done road trips, that's, that's kind of how it's worked. It's like, well, where do we want to be at this time? You know, right. and we make it there. Yeah. And it's like things change and things sometimes very little is in our actual control that's outside of us. But our response to it and our inner guidance is like, you know, giving us direction for one step at a time. And tying into that concept, Jack put out a book about three years ago called The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. <laughs> I mean, right, exactly what you're talking about, that you have to do it through steps. Well, he actually lays out what the steps are. He lays them out in terms of 64 essential lessons. And the, very recently, he uh, actually, not, not more recently than the book, about the same time the book came out. Um, he was asked in an interview, or actually, I, I guess he was asked by the Huffington Post to write an, uh, an article about, uh, you know, what are the success principles, but to keep them like under 10, you know, because they didn't really want to have 64 in an article. <laughs> and I can understand that, you know, that's a pretty long article. So he had to edit it down. He, he got it down to seven. And in this article, he, he lays out what the seven are and kind of quickly discusses them. I love the first one. We mentioned it, you and I did before we started the podcast. He calls it evict entitlement and take responsibility. And we were both yes. commenting how we love the word evict, evict entitlement. Mm. What he says here is one of the greatest myths that is pervasive in our culture today is that you are entitled to a great life and that somehow, somewhere, Someone is responsible for filling our lives with continual happiness, exciting career options, nurturing family time, and blissful personal relationships simply because we exist. But the real truth is that there is only one person responsible for the quality of the life you live, and that person is you. Everything about you is a result of your doing or not doing income, debt, relationships, health, fitness level, attitudes, behaviors, that person who reflects back at you in the mirror is the chief conductor in your life. So, hey, say hello. <laughs> but I love that. I love in, I evict love entitlement. I mean, that that flies in the face of a lot of, of self-help people these days. A lot of self-help people say, you know, not so much that you're entitled, but a lot of what they teach includes entitlement. And I find that fascinating. I love it because that's always been my very first that's first on my list. I always called it radical responsibility because mm. it's the idea that I am responsible for my life experience. Yeah. And it's not my fault if something, you know, bad happens to me. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But my response to that thing is my responsibility. Mm -hmm. How I react to it, how I experience it. So yeah. until we get there, there's no conscious creation. That's a great point, because uh, mm -hmm. how can you consciously create when you're undermining your own creation by feeling you're like somebody should just hand something to you? 
Right. Or feeling like everything, you know, that's, that's not right in your life is someone else's fault. Mm-hmm. Yep. In fact, it how might, often do we, do, do we include little, blame and you know, fault? Like, I mean, even just, the, just that alone, blame and fault, how much does that dominate our conversations about our lives, about our successes and failures and so forth? How much finger pointing actually happens? It blows yeah. me away how much there is. And as soon as you step up and take responsibility, it doesn't mean that those things didn't happen or, you know, <laughs> that we never experience anything uncomfortable. It just means that we're ready to take responsibility for how we experience it and for what we do with it afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful, because that's where I think that's where it all begins. I'm, I'm really excited that that was his first point because it starts there. Now, his second point, this is where I think. I would certainly have stumbled, and I, to some extent that I still do, but not nearly like I used to. The second point that he says that is a really top success tip, success tip is to be crystal clear why you're here. He says, each of us is born with a life purpose. Identifying, acknowledging, and honoring this purpose is perhaps the most important action successful people take. They take the time to understand what they are on this planet to do, and then they pursue that with passion and enthusiasm. So if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, then just tune in to the signals around you. Looking toward others for help and guidance is helpful, but don't forget to stay tuned into yourself, your behavior, attitude, likes and dislikes, and life experiences. Identify what's working and what isn't, and if you need to, write it all down. You might be surprised by what you discover. Now, I say that that one is a stumbling block because it was for me for the longest time. Until I found this podcast as something I love doing, I had no idea what kind of purpose I had in life. And it was really a source of frustration for me because I felt like I was just kind of floating through life and missing it. And I think I probably was. But first of all, I didn't know, you know that I needed to look for a life purpose. And second, if someone said to me, what is your life purpose? I would have said, uh, I mean, that would have been the extent of my answer. Because I didn't know. <laughs> well, so. what I think is interesting is that I've always understood that our life purpose um, has more to do with being than doing. Hmm. So I actually, I actually had a, a, a template for life purpose that I would use with clients. And it was really very simple. Um, it was I, so I, Cindy, mm -hmm. um, hear, see, feel, and know that the purpose of my life is to be, fill in the blank, to enjoy, fill in the blank, and to fill in the blank, <laughs> myself and others. Hmm. So, so in other words, like core values, yeah. when we know what our core values are, we start to understand our purpose is to be whatever it is that we feel our purpose is to be. It's not necessarily to do. The doings that happen will come out of it. Like, well, once we know what our purpose is, the doing will just be a natural outcome of that. Anyway, that's the way I've always understood it. That's a good approach. I hadn't really thought about doing it that way. Um, I imagine, though, if you've used that a lot with your uh, clientele, you probably have had a lot of success stories com coming out of it. I mean, how, wh like when you first applied it with yourself, when did you first apply it with yourself and what was your own result? Um, you know, it's funny. I haven't, I used to do it every once in a while just to, to get, 
I don't know, just to connect with it, right? Um, and so it's it's an adjective. My life is to be. Mm. And one of the things I know is that as a top core value in my life is beauty, um, art, music, making things more beautiful, um, recognizing beauty, enjoying beauty. Um, there's nothing that I like better than, you know, um, going to an art museum or walking through a field of flowers or just finding beauty wherever it is. Mm -hmm. And so I know that that's connected to my life purpose um, is to enjoy it and to point it out, to recognize it, to create it. And that all has to do with who I am. And so, you know, it's different for everybody. Um, I know I ha- I was looking for one. Somebody wrote me one, and it was so beautiful that I asked if I could share it. Hmm. And um, mine was, you know, uh, I, I just looked it up. I was like, where's the last one that I helped somebody do? <laughs> I see, feel, hear, and know that the purpose of my life is to be authentic, beautiful, intuitive, powerful, and wise, hmm. to enjoy beauty in the world around me, to love, teach, and empower others to communicate masterfully, to love deeply, to create consciously, and to enjoy life fully. Wow. That was the last time I, I actually shared it with someone. It was five years ago, mm-hmm. and it's still true. <laughs> wow. Okay. Which is interesting so because I, I think most of us don't even think about going at it in terms of, of more uh, abstract approach rather than, a, like you said, a doing approach. We, we usually well, try to answer questions like that as a doing approach, but you didn't do that. Exactly. And I, I always use this example. Um, and that is, let's say someone has a core value of, you know, justice. Mm-hmm. That's justice is and injustice is very hard for them to deal with. And, and they want to see justice in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. And that's their that's their, they came into this world just being very, you know, concerned about justice being done. Um well, you may think, well, okay, they could be a lawyer or, you know, work in the law somehow, but maybe they didn't have the opportunity to go to law school. Does that mean they can't fulfill their purpose? No, there's many, many ways. I mean, we can all think of ways that that purpose could be fulfilled, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it gets fulfilled when they're in first grade because they're willing to stand up for somebody who's being bullied or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like the doing comes out of it, but the being is the purpose. And so, I think that that's really important because sometimes that sometimes something may prevent us from doing a certain thing, but nothing can prevent us from being who we are. Mm-hmm. What yeah. would Abraham say about purpose? I don't think Abraham say it would be doing anything. Probably not, because in Abraham's view, the the thought and the feeling precedes any kind of a doing, and it's the thought and feeling that you're really supposed to be focusing on. Yeah, so I think that, yes, I totally agree with Jack that purpose, it, when we know it, everything changes. Mm. Yeah, well, I think that's true. Yeah. It's funny, but though, how we, we always tend to, to we, we tend to word it the other way. We tend to word it in terms of what we're going to do with our lives, which is fascinating. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of who we're going to be. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's a good place to start. When we know what, what kind of person we want to be or what kind of person we are, you know, that, that's a good place to start. You talk about somebody who wants to pursue um, justice. Funny when you, I think we all are going to have different reactions to different words. When you described that, my first reaction was, "Ugh, I've been down that road. It's not fun." 
but, but maybe that's not your purpose. Apparently not, um, because I, I actually was thinking about being a lawyer. I, I went to college for my bachelor's degree with the idea I was pre-law and mm -hmm. abandoned it fairly quickly when I found out what law courses were actually like. <laughs> <laughs> was not matching up at all with what I, I had this very idealized idea of law. And, well, uh, don't we match. all when we're that age? Yeah, I think so. Sure. <laughs> we have an idealized view of everything, I think. But I, I did certainly have uh, a feeling that justice was important at that point. And yeah. I mean, I can, I can even tell you a story that reflects it. Although at the time, I didn't think of it as being justice. I just thought of it as I just had to do it. Um, when I was, oh, geez, I'm going to say... 13 years old, something like that, um, there was an intramural basketball league, and I decided to play intramural basketball that summer. And I got on a team, and we're, our team did pretty well. Well, I think I've talked previously about how there was this group of boys who would tease me unmercifully, and not just me, there were others that they would tease too. Um, one of the people that they teased happened during that, that basketball intramural um, season, and it was one of their own. It was one of the same kids in that same group. And mm. they, they were teasing him about his butt. Which, and it was really rather cruel what they were, the kinds of things that they were saying. And they were doing it while he was playing. Well, his team was playing my team. And in the middle of the game, I was, I was hearing these guys just getting on his case. And I knew what it was like to have them on my case. And I just, I, I, I stopped. At one point, I had the ball at about half court. I just stopped, held the ball, and basically chewed them out. <laughs> right there and and i was I, this was like way out of my normal behavior pattern i would never ever do this i was such a wallflower that you know me speaking out would be like the last thing you would expect but it just <laughs> got to me so much that i just chewed them out and they, they stayed silent for the rest of the game well we finished the game i don't even remember who won the game it doesn't matter and then uh, the season went on for a bit more and uh, i think our team finished second we, we, we lost in the final game but we had a good season so anyway, at the end of the season, they had an awards ceremony. <clears throat> Excuse me. And at the awards ceremony, I mean, I knew we weren't going to get anything. They, they weren't giving out second place prizes or anything like that. So um, I, I wasn't really looking forward to be there. But my parents insisted, no, you got to be there. So I go, all right. So I was there. And all the kids <laughs> are sitting on the floor and so forth. And they give out all the rewards. And okay, all the awards are got, you know, the most viable player, best shooter, all that kind of stuff. Great. Okay. So we're done. And they said, no, we have one more award to give. Um, the Sportsman of the Year is Walt Thiessen. Yay! <laughs> and I looked up and I said, I'm thinking to myself, what? <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. And, and, and I, I honestly had the feeling that I was about to be publicly teased again. Oh, I, wow. I had no clue that I was being honored. None whatsoever. They had to convince me to come up to accept the award. <laughs> <laughs> and I wow. got up there and they hand me this trophy and I whispered to the teacher who was giving, to, giving it to me, what's this for? And he says, it's because you're the best sport of, of everybody who is in the league. And I just sat, stood there with my mouth open. I didn't know how to react. I didn't know how to feel. And everybody's applauding. And I'm looking around with, like a deer in the headlight gaze. And to this day, I don't think I said a word. <laughs> I don't remember for sure exactly what happened, but I was in such shock that I didn't even know how to handle it. Wow. Well, see, <laughs> here's what's interesting is that at what I know of you um, and like this story too, I see that there's that you have a really strong value around 
uh, justice. And it's just it, practicing law or going to law school wasn't wasn't the, doing wasn't the way to do it. <laughs> and it certainly doesn't mean you can't, you know, be that person. Right. So I think that's a great an example of having a core value and then saying, well, no, but this this isn't how it's going to play out for me because I don't particularly enjoy this thing, you know, but I enjoy this over here. <laughs> yeah, I, wow. I, I think for me, it was more like I had to redefine what justice was, because if I go with the societal definition of justice, it doesn't work for me. No, no, I understand. I, I wish I could see the boys faces when you spoke up. Oh, I, I could tell you that part. They were crawling into the corner. <laughs> and they were just and what on the you day said, it was the shock value. Oh yeah, thing. exactly. And and even more so at the award ceremony. They, you could see them. They there were like two or three of them off on the sideline and you could just see them trying on their faces. They were trying to decide, should I say something? <laughs> <laughs> I had effectively cowed them without having any intention of, of how that was going to work. I just, I just spoke out cause it got to me, but <laughs> I yeah, think about funny. when you read, you read from Jack Canfield's um, point of purpose. And part of it was, if I, re if I'm remembering correctly from like just a few minutes ago, part of it was to pay attention to, to little signs and nudges, right? Things that happen. Yeah, that was more than a nudge, but I get your point. <laughs> well, so I'm like, well, there it is. There's a great yeah. example of that happening. It's like you didn't even expect it, um, but there it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the experience was more than a nudge. It was more like a two-by-four, but it, it was it was strong. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> but even you getting the award. Yeah, part, yeah that was, that was right? very much That's a surprise. A, a sign. That's very the universe yeah. saying, here's a reward for, for you know, who you are. And interestingly enough, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't even know how to react to it. I, and I'm not even sure what that even says about anything, but the reward came. It was a reward for something I didn't even know I could be rewarded for. And once it got there, I didn't know what to do with it. Well, I think that that's, um, that's very cool. What you just said is I got a, a reward for something that, I didn't even know you could be rewarded for <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> it was a bit of a shock. <laughs> that's, the, that's the universe um, telling you, who, showing you who you are and, and giving you a, <laughs> a nice reward there. And, and interestingly enough, it took me a lot of years to even come to terms with it. I mean, I just ignored that story for, for decades because at the time, I just didn't know what to do with it. Now I have an idea what to do with it. That's one of the beauties of uh, you know being a student of the law of attraction and of the teachings of Esther Hicks, Abraham Hicks. I have learned enough that now I know what to do with that. But at the time, mm -hmm. or even in the decades that followed, I just, I still didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. I, there, there was no context. You know, there was there was nothing to equate it to in my life that I could say, oh well, yeah, it's like this. So now I understand how to relate to it. I had nothing like that. Well, this is why I think core values and knowing our core values. And this is how we find out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's like we, we recognize times when something was really enjoyable. We recognize times when something was just intolerable. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we recognize why. Like, what value do you think that's attached to? And it's different for different people, right? But it is. 
Yeah. Very important. I mean, in this I case, Jack I knew I knew what the why the was. The why was really clear to me. What was not so clear to me is how it played out and how to feel about that. I mean, on the one hand, I knew that I was supposed to feel good. On the other hand, I I it I really think it took me years to get to the point where I felt good about it. I know that sounds strange, but it's really true. Well, I th- it sounds to me like you know, as a kid, when it all happened, that it was confusing. It was very confusing. Oh yeah, that's definitely the word. <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm really glad you shared the story today because it, it's a great story, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. it's it's one of those stories when when it happens, you're not sure what to do with it, perhaps. But when you look back, you say, "Dog, right, I did the right thing at the right time. That's a good thing." <laughs> Yes, you did. <laughs> I would. I bet those boys still remember it too. They probably do. I, actually, there was a reunion. The uh, members of my uh, graduating class had a reunion a few years back that uh, a friend of mine kind of dragged me to, and uh, met you know some people I hadn't seen in many years. One of them was one of those kids. He's interestingly enough, he's now a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I know you were going to say that? I don't know. Uh. But that was pretty Very funny. <laughs> the the, the <laughs> other interesting part was I greeted him warmly, even though I didn't really feel like a warm relationship to him. But I greeted him warmly, and he almost looked like he wasn't sure what I was going to do around him. You know, he 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 tentatively took my hand and greeted me, and he wanted to get out of the conversation as soon as possible. <laughs> That's so funny. And like, how old were you when this happened? Like thirteen? Thirteen, yeah, yeah. Those things stick with us. They certainly do. Apparently, wow. <laughs> I, mean, I hadn't thought about yeah. him in years, but I guess he had thought about it. Maybe he thought about it that day. I don't know. <laughs> I bet he did. Yeah, he that's did. probably what it was. Yeah. So anyway, getting back to Jack Canfield, I mean, look what we did. We we talked about like two of his points. He made sixty four points. Success I was tips. Just say, we got two of them done. <laughs> did well. Here's my question about that because you said that he was asked to do this interview or article or whatever, and and to kind of. Did he condense those 64 down into seven or did he just pull out seven of the 64 that were important? The most I think important he pulled ones? out seven. I mean, he doesn't really specify what he did, but okay. I think he, he kind of called it down to seven. I mean, I okay. can tell you what the other ones are, if you like. Um, yes. Number three says decide what you want in a really big way, which is very much in tune with LOA teaching. Number four, believe anything is possible and leave the complaint department. Oh, boy, is that good advice. Leave the complaint department. It's so easy to stay in that department. <laughs> we spend a lot of time in as human beings, and it's probably the worst thing we could do is just complain, 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 complain. But anyway, that's one of his big points. Number five, fire up the faith in yourself. That one's a little bit tougher. Uh, one, once I understood how Abraham Hicks teaches that, then I knew what to do. But before, I didn't know how you fire up your own faith. I mean, did yeah. you know? Um, well, I always think that knowing people's stories is one of the best things for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also remembering, remember, that's why I think that keeping a, a journal or, um, however you keep it, a magical diary, whatever it is, uh, with your successes, Mm -hmm. because looking back and remembering, when I've had success before, that fires me up. Oh, okay. 
How right. did he word it again? Fire up. Fire up the yourself. faith in yourself. He says, if you're going to be successful in creating the life of your dreams, you have to believe that you are capable of making it happen. Whether you call it self-esteem, self-confidence, or self-assurance, it is a deep-seated belief that you have what it takes, the abilities, well, inner resources, mirror work. and so forth. Mirror work. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good good way to do it. In fact, he's I mean, the one who as far as a method, I think it. that that's, yeah. Yeah. You proved that. I did. Yeah. Much to my surprise. <laughs> Um, I also love his sixth one. His sixth success idea is turn paranoia on its head. He says, imagine how much easier it would be to succeed in life if you were constantly expecting the world to, to support you and, and bring you opportunity. Successful people do just that. Don't assume the world is a brutish, unwelcoming, and difficult place to be. Try thinking the opposite and turn paranoia inside out. And the way I like to do that is taking phrases that we use to describe unpleasant things and trying to turn them around. So usually in terms of the, the stick lack end of the stick idea that Abraham Hicks talks about, where we, right. we express things in terms of what we don't like. I, I don't want to have um, uh, like a, a, a job I hate. I don't want to have a relationship with somebody who, who treats me bad. I don't want to live under a government that is, that is brutal and totalitarian. I don't want this. I don't want that. Instead, invert it, turn it into what you do want, you know, that's the Flip pivot the whole thing around. That's the pivot. Right. And and he called it turning it on its head. I like that. I, I think it is important to turn things on. There. There's a word for that. It's called pronoia. Pronoia. Right. I had not heard that one. That's a good one. Right. So paranoia is everyone's against me. Mm -hmm. And pronoia is the universe is supporting me. Or as Wendy Dillard likes to say, everything is always working out for me. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. What's number seven? Number seven is make a goal and go with it, even if it's risky. Not your usual teaching again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I noticed that number three was about making a really big goal. Right. Yeah. Number three and number seven definitely go together. And number four is tied in. Believe anything is possible and leave the complaint department. So he's definitely into thinking big. And I think that's a direct um, result of his experience with W. Clement Stone. W. Clement Stone told him, set a goal that was so big you didn't think you could achieve it. And he did. And he got right. it. Right. I really like that. I'm in the midst of setting some goals. And that kind of fired me up to hear that. Really? It's kind of scary, too. <laughs> It is scary. It is scary. It, I was like, oh, no, can't I just set a little tiny goal? That... <laughs> well, no, you need to set a big audacious goal. Yeah. The the, the trick here, and I, I suspect he probably gets the, into this in his book because he doesn't really lay it out here. But the trick here is when we set that big goal, do we do it in a way that we feel like it feels good or we do it in a way that makes us feel like, oh, God, I'll never get there. I give up. I quit right now. Well, I think that's where you know, number five comes in is firing up the faith in ourself. Yeah. We could do a whole show on that one. Yeah. Is... Because we certainly can't make a big, you know, huge goal that we don't think, I mean, a goal so big, we don't think it can happen. Uh, we're going to have to fire up faith in ourselves to be able to move forward. Wouldn't you think? I would think so. Yeah. Or and else we'll be stuck in that, yeah, this is never going to happen kind right, of mode. Yeah, where, where I've been. That's why I say that could take, we should probably spend a whole show doing that. Maybe we can do that today in this afternoon show. Because as I look at the clock, we're completely out of time. <laughs> we have no oh time goodness. left. Time flies. <laughs> but it's been great. And I look forward to doing it again with you uh, this afternoon. You want to talk about this? Uh, fire it up, firing up your faith this afternoon? 
Let's do it. All right, we'll do that. We'll hope that uh, you'll join us as well as we discuss firing up your faith later on today here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.